Hello there and welcome back to the Don't Drink the Blue Milk podcast. I'm Mitchell and with me uh, as always is Ryan. Hello uh, Mitchell. It's been uh, a little bit of time since we've been able to coordinate doing another episode of this fun time. Uh, and alas, we are currently without Adam. Hopefully he'll show up at some point. But yep. um, if indeed he doesn't, I'm sure we'll still have fun. No doubt. A little bit of a change up, as you can probably hear. We're going to be rotating our hosting duties. And so it, this week is my week. And we will begin, as always, with reporting in. Ryan, how are you? And how has your week been, or the last few weeks been, yeah, in regards to your Star Wars consumption? We've had a little bit of time off. Um, I've been desperately trying to find time to do some um, some Star Wars intake. But, of course stuff does get in the way like work and life and everything else um i've managed to do some things though i have finished thrawn finally um excellent i the, the kate katie who who runs the katie recommends um page she was uh she was quite surprised when i said that i'd finished thrawn she was like oh my god and she started talking to me about all three of the form books thinking that i meant the whole series but actually oh. Actually, I was only on about the uh, the first book, and I've still only just finished the first book. It took me ages to finish it, um, but I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Completely loved the ending. I loved the sort of the meeting with the Night Swan and everything. I thought it was just, I thought it was just amazing. I won't, I won't say too many spoilers because uh, Adam's either going to be a part of this podcast shortly, or will be listening. So um, he he is he has just bought himself Thrawn. So it'll be interesting to have a conversation once, of course, Adam's finished Thrawn. So then all three of us will be. Um, be able to talk about that. I have also finished. Page, yeah. I have also finished season seven of the Clone Wars. Um, I, it was there's there is a real um, beauty to the way that that season was composed, and there is a lot of due care and attention, a lot of love that is put into it, and you can really feel that when you watch it, especially with the the subtle kind of. Um, even like musical nods to Revenge of the Sith um, and how it almost feels a little bit like a love letter to Revenge of the Sith as well, which is cool. Um, and it's nice to see how the events of that film affect the world, the galaxy around them, um, not just, you know, focused around the likes of Anakin and Obi-Wan and, and Yoda. Um, mm. And yes, so thoroughly enjoyed that. Liked the sort of emotional payoff at the end with, with that, those moments of Vader sort of uh, walking up in, through the snow, and it's a, a nice sort of final set piece for the series as a whole. I think, which is absolutely brilliant and beautiful all throughout, and is is probably right up there with the best Star Wars content that you can really get your hands on um, in regards to you know being able to consume stuff along with Rebels and and many of these other things. Um, but yeah, sure. thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Apart from that, I've not. I've not managed to watch any of the movies or anything recently. I've got a bit of a hankering again to watch the movies. Me and Amy have watched The Force Awakens, so we're due to watch The Last Jedi together soon. Um, but we'll be, we'll be ramping back up our podcast when that's the case. And also, I've got this... I've I've unpackaged this little uh, Kylo Ren figure. Uh, it's not a figure. It's like a little plushy toy thing that Adam got me for... Um, I can't even remember what it was. I think it might have been for Christmas. But he, he, he talks. So listen. I've been waiting for this day for a long time. I'm immune to the light. Don't fight it. You know you can't. <laughs> Very cool. 
but yeah, so uh, that's that's all my Star Wars consumption. Yourself, Mitchell? Yeah, I've I've, I've been quite similar to you. I think that um, I I feel like the fact that there hasn't been an awful lot of new content has meant that I haven't really been able to consume too much in the way of Star Wars. Uh, I've also uh, been, as you said, quite busy with a lot of other stuff as well as when I do have some downtime to myself, I've, I've started writing. So um, I'm, I'm in the midst of trying to bash out something that may at some point maybe be called a novel. Um, so that's been kind of fun, getting my head around that and obviously drawing influences from things like Star Wars and, um, and other sort of science fiction fantasy type stories and be able to see what works really well and what I don't like and be able to sort of integrate that into what I'm doing. Uh, I've just been listening to the Heir to the Empire audiobook mm-hmm. on my way to and from work. So that's been really cool to re-engage with that story and it's particularly interesting to see how different Thrawn is uh, represented in the EU and in canon because I feel like he's a much more sympathetic and uh, definitely a character that you can connect with more in canon than you could with him in the EU. There's sort of this this real... uh, sense of him being an evil character in, yes. in the EU yeah, that old. I think is completely gone when it comes to uh, canon and it makes him so much more intriguing and so much more interesting and you yeah it's just it's it's almost you just, he's just a different point of view as opposed to being uh, uh, a villain um, so that's been really so which really fun which do you prefer oh I much prefer canon I've been thinking a lot about it recently. Uh, I, I, I've been, I, I, st- I was reading the new Jedi order and it, it was just getting a bit much. There was just so many books and so much content and it was just sort of weighing me down and I couldn't, I couldn't bash it. I couldn't just couldn't do it. I couldn't mm-hmm. get my headspace right to, to engage with it properly. So I thought I'll take a break. I'll try and read something a little bit, a little bit easier. And I picked up the Jedi apprentice the first book, uh, really sort of young, young adult, well, not even sort of junior novel about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, uh, again, uh, in the EU, yeah. um, but set before episode one. Nice. And it's about 120 pages and it's been three weeks and I, I'm not even halfway through it. <laughs> I just, uh, I'm, I think I've just, uh, going through a bit of a, struggling to read phase yes. which is a little yes. bit frustrating but um it is what it is and you know I, I am listening to audiobooks which is always good fun mm-hmm. and it's really cool to re-engage with air to the empire because it, i think it really is just a real staple of the the sort of expanded universe of star wars it was mm-hmm. such a great story and it is really well told it's Spot on. It's fantastic. I'm so glad that uh, Zahn came across to canon and and Thrawn yeah. was able to cross over that bridge between the two. It's uh, yeah. really excellent. So really, I've, really, really I've, cool. um, I've started Alliances now and um, just straight straight from me off, Zahn is just excellent. I, I love the way that yeah. he runs 
and I love the the fact that he now has Vader as such a tool to play with in the book. And I love the fact that literally I'm only just finishing chapter one and I'm already totally in love with the fact that um, there is such a dynamic between Vader and, and Thrawn and, and how it, they are very like, or, or Vader specifically at the moment anyway, is quite sort of peacocky in his sort of, um, his the way that he addresses Thrawn and that he like sees himself uh, as above him in a lot of ways Mm. and and that Thrawn is of course as Thrawn was tactically um allowing Vader to feel that way um and I I love that book I think it's um it's out of the three I think it's my favorite one uh, because there is there is a lot going on and the dynamic between Thrawn and Vader is really 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 cool yeah and 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 I'm I'm really excited to see where they go with the fact that I feel as if Thrawn is going to, um, especially come the end of this, they will realise or recognise that in a lot of ways they are very similar and that is the the greater empire sees them as outsiders. Um, I think that may come into it. I'm not sure whether it will, but I think that, that that's that's where in my own mind Thrawn and Vader have this thing in common of they are close to the emperor they are they are his his um his tools of destruction or or that he uses to snuff out um any issues but in the the political landscape they are both rather um yeah they're they're both rather frowned upon because i guess vader's this this relic of a bygone age as they say in a new hope and um and of course thrawn is a non-human so they're, they're, yeah. they're in in a lot of ways they they are similar, and I'm interested to see whether Zan sort of um, delves into that, and and that the, they have this kind of mutual respect for each other. But but perhaps I'll be wrong. Um, we'll we'll see. But certainly, Thrawn. The more I read, the more I get into his character. The fact that that he has this clinical, um, I don't know. Like it, it, there's something that attracts me to his is kind of um, calmness under pressure and, mm. and his, he's got like an aura that just, you just feel like if a Thrawn walked into the room, you'd be more obsessed with the way that he's, that he always seems to be five steps ahead or always seems to be like, I love the fact that he studies the art and learns his enemy and everything. It's just, it's just amazing. And, and, and it's, I love, I love all of it. And I love the fact that specifically in this book, um, there's a lot of immediate, um, it, it, it seems to be in, in around the same time that he's dealing with Kanan and the rebels. Um, and that's an Ezra. And that's cool because there's a lot of Vader kind of giving him um, a lot of shit basically about yeah. not, not dealing with the rebels in, in an appropriate way. But, but Thrawn always just seems to take failure in his stride and see it only as a lesson. And that's, and that's something that's extremely um, cool about his character, and I and I just the more I read about Thrawn, the more I listen and everything. I just absolutely love him as a character, and I think he is at the moment for sure. As we as we discuss Mitchell, it does change quite a lot, um, but he is definitely my Star Wars obsession character at the moment. My top of my list of, you know, I'm sat at work even thinking, man, like the way that Thrawn worked that out was just crazy or whatever, you know. Like I'm just. Completely just, understandable, yeah. Yeah, just obsessed with his character, um, which I'm sure once I plough through this book, I'll be even more so. But yes, there, there we are. That is, um, that is what I've been um, up to. 
Beautiful. In that case, we'll move on to our next segment, which of course is we'll handle this. Mm. And this week, uh, I have put forth the topic of relationships in Star Wars. And this doesn't necessarily mean romantic relationships um, or indeed family relationships, just, just two characters that, that have some sort of connection with each other and how it sort of resonates with us. And yeah, so I thought it would be really cool to sort of talk about that. And there's certainly um, a plethora of relationships in Star Wars, as I'm sure we will see yes, in the next few sure. moments. So- so shall we go as we normally do and sort of I'll go, you go, I'll go, you go until we get to... Indeed. So I would love to hear your number three, Ryan. Yes. My number three is R2-D2 and Luke Skywalker. Um, R2-D2 and Luke Skywalker. Great. Yeah, that's 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 my... Th- th- this is something that I, uh, especially since our last podcast where we spoke about droids and their relationships with people that, that specifically has been speaking to me quite a lot. Um uh, of course, he is with Luke from the start, and you know it, they go through a lot together, especially in Empire Strikes Back when they go to Dagobah together. And you can there is immediate sort of connection between the two that, that they they play into each other quite well. That the, they're almost um, like the perfect pair in a lot of ways, and that R two D two gets gets Luke out of a lot of situations, and Luke gets R two out of a lot of situations, and that they're. As, po- as opposed to being a droid and its master, they feel more like friends. Um, and that the Luke appreciates R2. And, and it, it's always that classic kind of, no R2, we're not going here. We're going, we're, you know, we're going to the De- Dagobah system or whatever. And then R2's like, whoa, I don't know about this. And it feels like a lot like R2 is, is in a way his conscience in a lot of ways. And um, mm. I, love, I love the whole sort of getting to Dagobah. R2 going into the the, the uh, murky waters of Dagobah and, and Luke being so fearful of, of losing R2 that creates that connection between the two of them. You can see how much R2 means to him, but then also R2 sort of being defensive over Luke and, and having his little scrap of Yoda because he's like, who is this little creature who's... who's That's one of my favourite scenes in all of Star Wars. Yeah, and it's... And Yoda's it's just, introduction, so good. It, it is just perfect, and then of course everything they go through together in regards to the um the the return of the jedi and the the that moment i think where not only does r2 become or become even more of that that the connection between r2 and luke becomes even more apparent but especially for luke's character it is that moment of oh okay luke is now a jedi knight when r2 shoots his lightsaber um, and you can almost see yeah. that, that even unbeknownst to Leia and everybody else, Luke and R2 have clearly devised a plan to get the, to get the, all of them out of this scenario. And of course, R2's carrying drinks. And then next minute, of course, he knows the cues. He knows the classic thing that Family Guy t- um, do quite a funny thing when everyone's looking looking at each other in that moment. And then and then uh, uh, R2 shoots the lightsaber, and you see that beautiful green lightsaber ignited and you see the full-fledged jedi knight luke skywalker start to kick ass as uh, as i love as i love to see so much um and then of course it then progresses to the last jedi where this is my all-time r2 and luke moment where 
when R2 plays the Help Me Obi-Wan Kenobi, You're My Only Hope to Luke mm. um, on, of course, the the um, the Millennium Falcon, which has so much emotional weight to it. And when he obviously says that's a cheap move to R2, it's classic of R2's cheeky character. Um, and also just it just proves that it all the way from A New Hope to that moment, there's been so much growth between the two characters, but it's so nice when there is something that connects the two of them from the start that is used in such like a weighty um, way. And I love that. Yeah. I love that moment where it's, it's, you can see that, that Luke then likens himself or, or, or in fact, R2 is likening Luke to old Obi-Wan at that point. And that there is, you know, Luke's character has progressed to that hermit who needs to come and save the day like obi-wan did and um he uses that to i think awaken luke's um luke's sort of perspective on where he is and what he's doing which is cool yeah did you did you know that uh apparently ryan johnson it it does speak obviously to the connection between the two characters that Mm -hmm. the only thing that ryan johnson asked of jj abrams was initially jj abrams had ray take BB-8 with her to Arcto and Ryan Johnson asked him to change it so that it was actually R2, not BB-8. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah. And presumably it's for that scene. Yes. And the importance of their relationship and, you know, as much as Ray can try and convince him and as much as Chewie might be able to try and convince him in that moment, Mm. R2 is is the only one who yep. who can actually and there's, get and there's through that to him because of the, all the history. That, there's that beautiful moment that when uh, nothing ignited my heart more than when I saw that Force Awakens trailer and Luke's metal hand touches the top yeah. of R2, and that just completely and utterly ignited my heart for Star Wars again, and just made me so excited to watch Force Awakens and see what was happening with Luke and R2 because they are that they are that duo that you know the thing that started Star Wars in a New Hope in such a way, um, and it's just amazing. I love that. And indeed, love- the fact that uh, when Luke does go away, R2 just kind of shuts down. Yes, exactly. And there's so all there's, there's, there's quite sweet and sad about that too. That's an amazing point because of course Luke um allowed for for R2 to have the map inside of him, obviously, to be able to find him again. But it is that fact that without and, and even again, you've just you've just reminded me of another amazing character point for the two of them. And that is when Luke has been lost at the start of Empire and R2 is just sat there scanning like hoping to find him within the snow mm. and he and he sort of makes his sad r2 noise because like, he's all sad because he he thinks that luke might have died and you can see that r2 loves luke and that's what's yeah. so amazing about star wars is giving those droids that personality giving droids feelings and emotions and and that's where of course luke loves r2 and and r2 loves uh loves luke just as much and i love their little duo but certainly, we, we especially in the original trilogy, the only real relationship like that is between Luke and R2. Yes. And a lot of that does come down to the, in Empire that Luke didn't really have anyone else to talk to. And um, and it certainly became more than just he's talking to the droid, but he's talking to a friend. Uh, and as you were saying in the beginning, the relationship between R2 and Luke, I was thinking about how... How is how is that relationship different to 
the prequels where where of course R2 spends a lot of time with Anakin and particularly in the Clone Wars and I thought to myself that the relationship between the two are very very similar and yep. the the respect that Anakin has for R2 and yes. maybe not as, not as much in the films but certainly in the in in the Clone Wars mm-hmm. there's so much respect and and friendship and and sweetness and humor in, in the way they interact with each other. And it's, I guess it's one of those things that kind of connects Anakin with Luke as well, is their mutual respect and admiration and friendship with R2. And I wonder whether, whether to, to add another layer to that, that is in, in a way why R2 has such a connection with Luke, because of course he, must know, he must know that Luke is Anakin's uh, child. Um, and, you know, I think that's that that might be something that that which is why R two attaches himself so much to to Luke, which is almost nice in a way. If you know, thinking about how true he sees, he might see Luke as, as a new hope as well. You know. Um, yeah. But yes, I, I, that, that is my first my mind. one. Yourself. Lovely. Well, I I I'm I'm a bit I feel a bit bad. I don't know if I've I've quite thought of uh, anything that wonderfully interesting but um my my third one and this comes down to uh, a couple of characters that i've been thinking an awful lot about recently i'm not in, even entirely sure where it sort of came from but I, I i have been thinking about their their dynamic uh a bit we don't get an awful lot of screen time with them throughout all of star wars but i i just loved their dynamic so much uh, when I first saw them on screen, that they always stick out in my mind, and that is Baze and Chirrut from Rogue One. Oh. There's a really nice book as well, which is sort of a prequel called Guardians of the Wills, yep. which is about their relationship and what happens on Jeddah before Jyn Erso and everyone get there and create havoc. And their their relationship with Saw Gerrera as well. And there's yeah. not an awful lot of moments in the books where I've read things and really had a really big emotional reaction. Certainly I got an awful lot of it when I was reading Dark Disciple. That was just an incredible book. But a lot of the stuff around Rogue One I thought was really nicely written. And one of them, which is a particular favorite that I need to reread again, is The Guardians of the Wills and it really explores even more the, the the caring and the love that these two men have for each other. And yeah. um, it's so nice and subtle in the film and they've got so much humor and you think that there's all this animosity between them, but the reality is that they just love each other and they, they couldn't yeah. do anything without the other and they complement each other so well. And, I think Baze being a character that doesn't speak very much, but he's always mm-hmm. there and he's always looking out for Chirrut and he just, um, and, and the book explores a little bit the, the fact that Baze doesn't believe in being a guardian anymore. And the only reason why he stuck around was because he wanted to look out for his, his dear friend, which I think is just very sweet. And I think yeah. that, as as cool as they are and as tough as they are, I just see how sweet they are together, and I think that that's it's really nice. Yeah, I yeah. I, I love the fact that 
that they are the way you say that they complement each other is, is exactly right and that is that you have someone who is blind but so awake to the force um and so and can see so clearly via the force that or has so much trust in the force um and that that is something that that makes his character so great and then and then on the opposite you've got almost that eyes open giant gun um you know i can see what's in front of me and i can blast it and the fact that they complement each other in that way is great is that you know mm. there is that there's that trust between them of you know he knows he's looking out for him but they know that they're looking out for each other um and that there is that connection between the two of them and i think that's just explored in in the fact that all of the characters in rogue one there is so much attachment created before they die but of course the scene where those two both die together is um specifically beautiful i think and and yeah. it's just that that's that's the scene in in the in the novelization yeah there's there's a line that that alexander freed wrote that it just hit me so hard when i was reading it was just like oh it was so it was so very good I, I it was just beautifully written that that book and it was really I think, good i think that the, the, there is that there is a, a a sadness to to their sacrifice but also there is that calm kind of happiness and i think that that that's that's strange in a lot of ways that it applies so much to real life that in certain scenarios people unfortunately die but when you know mm. that they have died as brothers or died together or or had a had a life together that it makes it almost nice in a way and the way that he yeah. sort of the, the way that he sort of looks over at him as in his final final moments knowing that you know they have been there for each other and that they are so close and that they have even to the moment where they both die have been brothers and that is something that's, that's proper lush you know yeah huh. <laughs> all right cool <laughs> wipe the tears from my eyes that's it <laughs> we'll move on Definitely. to our numbers twos yeah. all right my, my my number two is anakin and ahsoka um lovely i I think that this this is um, a, a relationship that, especially in recent Star Wars history, has been really expanded on. Um, and of course, the whole going from the first movie where Anakin sort of, you know, she is that cheeky sidekick that you know he, as he mentioned, might just work as his apprentice, wouldn't work as Obi Wan's, and you know has that that effect on him. And then, of course, when she leaves the Jedi Order and how much emotional weight that has and development that that has for Anakin's character and the fact that she almost does what he wish he could in just walking away from the Jedi Order um and the or indeed if he had have walked away things wouldn't have gone the way they went yes 100% and and she is such a perfect yin to his yang in a lot of ways that she is uh a lot more i would say emotionally conscious than he is i guess and he's very headstrong but she you can tell absolutely totally idolizes him and thinks he's the best the best thing ever and that is cute in so many ways because of course she she can't see past how great he is but but really every moment of their development is all, all builds towards, of course, the Vader and Ahsoka standoff, and that, and its emotional depth, 
is why I think their relationship is 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 so good because you can see that even in those moments, even and there is so much of that to attach ourselves to, and that is that perhaps people in your life at some point do change and that they can become an evil or become a negative to you. And, and even, even if that's the case, sometimes you just look at them and say, you know, I want to save you from yourself. And, mm. and that's what, she, that's what she tries to do in that moment. And, that, and it's so beautiful when she says, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to leave you. Not this time. And those, and those flutes play in the background and, and every moment that you as a, as a viewer know that's happened between the two of them and how, deeply heartbreaking it is for Ahsoka to even have to raise her blade against someone that she loves so much is just amazing and, and has that shade of Anakin and Obi-Wan and, and the Anakin's you know turn to the dark side is it breaks not only Padme's heart but so many others and that I just love their relationship and I love the fact that even in their their final moments in season seven there's there is that kind of that look that she gives him of you know she almost knows in a way that that's the last time she's going to see him. Um, mm. And, and it's just, it's just beautiful. I just think that their whole relationship from beginning, from the humble beginnings of becoming his annoying little apprentice to the quite tragic Shakespearean end where they end up battling each other. And, you know, she, she sees what he has become and has to deal with that. Um, the, the whole, the whole thing is just the perfect package of great relationship storytelling. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I don't know if I can add too much more than that. It, no, it, no, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastically well-written story. And to have Ahsoka as the, the sort of central... Uh, I think the conclusion of, of The Clone Wars really hits home that Ahsoka is sort of the heart and soul of, of The Clone Wars. And as much as yes. we do get some fantastic insights into Anakin and Obi-Wan, Ahsoka really is sort of this the center point of the the canon expanded universe and um i'm so interested to see where her story leads very much hoping that we do get her in a live action form the rumors that we've all heard of um of her appearing in Mandalorian yeah. season two and potentially getting a spin-off and i mean the amount of mm -hmm. announcements recently just to go on a bit of a side note of um announcements regarding potential spin-off tv series is, is crazy there's so many yeah. that everyone's sort of there's so many rumors going around at the moment yeah. um actually it brings to mind something i was meant to, meant to say about Chirrut and bays i feel like i would rather see a tv series about their relationship than cassian and k2so to be honest yeah as yeah, much yeah, as i sure. you know like the idea of a tv series spy espionage i think their series would be so much more interesting and i would just love mm. it um but yeah um certainly really want to see where ahsoka's story goes and yeah and, what, and i'll be interested to see whether, like that anakin i'll be yeah i'll be interested to see whether they do any sort of emotional callbacks to vader albeit it could be a moment where i don't know in 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 um mandalorian she someone could speak of vader and then of course you would then have to you would look into Ahsoka's eyes and know what she was thinking in that moment and how sad that would be for her. Perhaps they could mention Vader's death and see what she, see what she feels about Vader's death. would be interested to, um, yeah. to hear that, whether she, whether she'd be sort of happy for Anakin being free or sad that, that it happened basically. 
Well, yeah, it's interesting to think as well, you know, was there any point... I mean, it seems that the comics are sort of exploring it. The the Vader comic currently is very interesting. Yeah. It's uh it's sort of dealing with him post a new hope. Uh, sorry, yeah. post Empire Strikes Back, pre Return of the Jedi, and discovering he, he goes back to Naboo and he finds one of Padme's old handmaidens and you know, obviously that conjures up a whole bunch of um turmoil for him. Um, but I, I feel like it would be interesting to see if there was any more exploration of Ahsoka and Vader, but, but I think yep. certainly it was, it was done so well in Rebels that there's not really much need for it. No, um, no, no. But, but certainly um, you can't have a story with, with Ahsoka and not have some inkling of Anakin or Vader. Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah. Uh, my number two, uh, I don't think I can go one episode of this podcast without mentioning Darth Maul yeah. and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes. So that's my, that's my number two, believe it or not. Um, yeah. th- that's, it, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it almost felt silly to mention it again, because if you've listened to any of the other episodes of the podcast, you know how I feel about this. And um, I... hello, there. welcome back. Yes, indeed. Technical difficulties, eh? We'll carry on. That's okay. We'll carry on as we were. <laughs> so, yes, uh, I think um, I, I probably mentioned before we got cut off that uh, the, my number two is, is Maul and Kenobi. Yeah. And just the it, it's such an interesting dynamic between the two characters. And I think that if it weren't for their interaction in Rebels, which I've extensively spoken about before, I don't think that that their story would resonate as much with me as it as it does that mm. that final moment of the look in Maul's eyes and the words that he says tells me that there's there was just something deeply troubled about him and the dark side just must have corrupted him so much that it just yep. took away everything that he truly was and uh, Kenobi is this sort of beacon of you know, he, he, he's, he's so desperate for revenge and um, it just it just makes for really interesting storytelling think, and, and it's so compelling. I think for sure that the, not even so much the dark side, but more so Palpatine and his, his, his yeah. sort of hints really at his destruction of Maul really and that he he is what they need to defeat and that Maul recognizes that is that his, his even I think Maul's lust for power and lust for wanting to become so powerful or to 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 gain that is still motivated deep down in his subconscious by the fact that he desperately just wants to be rid of the Emperor and to be yeah, rid, I, I rid of this very much see that as well yeah um, and I think that that specifically, like you say, it, without that Rebels moment, it wouldn't be so much because it was more of a one-sided relationship prior to that because it was more so Maul's hatred for for what Obi-Wan had done to him that, that got him motivated to even stay alive. Um, mm. But I think even more so on like a deeper level that Maul's motivation to stay alive was almost beyond Obi-Wan, not that he could see that. Because... Agreed his his motivation to stay alive was because 
the reason that he had no legs and was at the bottom of something in Naboo was because of the Emperor, was because of Palpatine, was because of what he done to him and what he changed in Maul that forced him down this destiny and then cast him aside as if he was nothing, even though he completely mm. and utterly changed Maul's whole life by taking him on as apprentice. Um, and then just cast him aside. And, and the, that pain, that pain that Palpatine then layers on top of him again when he kills his brother and everything is just... It, it's, I think... Obi-Wan in so many ways is an outlet for Maul to feel the emotion that he really feels towards the Palpatine and that I I I, I was um in the midst of 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 plotting what was going to be this overly in-depth kind of uh fan fiction that I that I had mm-hmm. and that that essentially is is what it was all going to be about was that the the true enemy of Maul was Palpatine, not Kenobi, and the the yeah. fact that he he kept going mad meant that he was sort of his focus just kept going askew and going the wrong way, and um, yeah, uh, I think it's something that I've, I've abandoned, but but yeah, that that's very yeah, you've you've summed up very well what I um, and I think been, that. Floating in my head for a long time. That is so beautifully played out in that moment that once Maul realizes that that's his final moment within himself, that mm. he lo- he looks at Obi Wan and realizes that the reason that Obi Wan's there, the reason that Obi Wan has been fighting this whole time, the reason that that he is protecting this new hope, this thing that, that is so precious is because Maul realizes in that moment what he's, his subconscious has been screaming at him the whole time. And, and that is that the true enemy is Palpatine. And that and that when he looks up and says, will he bring the balance? Will he, will he destroy this evil? Um, yeah. That, this evil that not only has utterly, utterly in that moment shattered Obi-Wan's whole existence into pieces, but also in such a, such a almost weirdly similar way, shattered Maul's life to pieces where both of them are stood across from that fire from each other, looking at each other going, you know, this, you know, look at what you've become, look at what they've both become because of this evil. Do you think that had that moment gone differently, I I, I certainly feel rewatching that scene uh, and that the, 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 the preamble towards the very short lightsaber duel that Maul's arrogance just really gets in the way and, and his intention when he, when he went there could easily have not been to kill Obi-Wan, but in his arrogance, mentioning luke was his downfall because in that moment obi-wan knew that he couldn't let maul live i i think that was the slip up for maul if he hadn't have mentioned luke potentially that scene could have gone very differently if that scene had have gone very differently and they had have decided to team up together to either a train luke or b go off together and try and defeat vader and palpatine Do you think that they would have had any success? I I think that the number one, I don't th- feel feel as if I I I think at that moment when 
when Maul was opened up the holocron and was looking for Obi-Wan at that moment, I believe that, that Maul was so, was so out of control. He'd lost control at this point of, of his, of the, of the gangs that he had control of. He was, you know, mm. no longer a, a real presence in any way, shape or form. And I feel like he was trying to take some last ditched control of his own life and right a wrong that was done to him so long ago. I think he misinterpreted the holocron. I think the holocron was trying to give him the answer to what he, he, he was trying to find. And what he was trying to find was the key to his revenge. And when he saw that it was on the twin planet and the twin suns and, 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 and assumed that it was then Kenobi, he thought that Kenobi was what his revenge was supposed to be. But the reality of it was potentially that he could, he should have gone there and, teamed up with Kenobi to take mm. on the Pal- on Palpatine. That, that that was sort of, I mean, that, that that's very much the fan fiction thing that I've got in my head of, uh, yeah. of, of Maul's relationship with, with Obi-Wan. But, and I, uh, I think that's where, that, that's where my fan fiction would differ to the point where I, I believe that if I was going to write it, it would be that Maul was desperate in his dwindling moments, which I think he himself knew because you know just out of his fear of vader and everything else that he was he had no chance within himself to really defeat defeat the emperor or defeat darth vader in any way shape or form and, and you know he he flirted with the idea of trying to take ezra on as an apprentice but i think he really knew that that within this what i think is that with, with he really knew within himself that that was an unattainable he wanted to go there to try an old man that done him wrong in the past as some kind of last-ditched attempt at gaining control out of his life. And that, sadly, once again, just comes to the the, the bitter end that, that Maul's whole story, really, in a, in a lot of ways, is a tragedy and that, and that he, yeah. either, in that moment, was just trying to take control in some way and then realised that there is a bigger picture than himself and bigger picture that that actually laid him to rest in far better a way than even confronting the emperor would have because he knows that deep down confronting the emperor he would have been futile he would have died he would have been killed by vader or he would have been smoked by somebody and in that moment in his last moment he looks up at obi-wan and and he realizes in himself that for all of the attempts and all of everything he's ever done throughout his whole life to try and get back at the emperor, that perhaps it's not him that's the answer to that. It's mm. not him that should be the person that takes, that assumes control and, and does that. And that actually there is another, there is. But there then is he certainly finds who, peace in that moment, which that I think is, is yes. very beautiful. Yes. Um, very, very oh. beautiful for a character that, that in, in so many ways, is and I think this is something that Star Wars likes to really um, uh, sort of enlighten us all to, and that is that you can do a lot of wrong in your life, but as long as as you as you try and make peace with that or 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 come round, that there's always good in someone, and that and that well, is yeah. Except for Palpatine, I think we can all agree that Palpatine is just just bad. Yeah, I think I think Palpatine is is the yeah the the embodiment exception that of evil. proves the rule. 
Yes. Although, I mean, definitely. Tarkin's pretty bad as well. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sort of a, yeah, we, a whole we, other... We, we both have discussed it. Indeed. Um, yeah. Cool. Definitely. Well, okay. there you go. There are number two. And um, yep. so My... your number one relationship in Star Wars. My number three. Now. Sorry? Okay. My number three is Han and Leia. Oh, interesting. Because, of course, naturally, when you say relationship, as you mentioned at Star, it's not necessarily has to be a love relationship, but it does send you down that avenue and of course Anakin and, and Padme came to mind stuff like that but specifically for myself as Kylo is my favorite character um Han and Leia's relationship is something that is beautiful to me in so many ways because not only is it that first dive into relationships in Star Wars in regards to love um but is also the what those two's coming together creates everything that Ben is, and of course, everything that Ben struggles with is the fact that it's really likened to, especially especially in the Kylo comics and stuff, that he struggles with his identity of not being he's Han Solo's son or he's Princess Leia's son. He's not himself, and that is that these two have such weight and such. Um, I don't know, status within the galaxy because of everything that they've done in, in the original trilogy that that hampers their son's development in so many ways because he he has that kind of shoes-to-fill approach to life. Um, and, yeah. but, but specifically their relationship is that it grows from... You can see straight from the off that Han Solo is this headstrong, I don't listen to anybody. And then in that simple moment where she grabs the blaster turns shoots a hole in the wall next to them to go down a shaft into a into the garbage that han fell in love with that girl in that moment because he realized that you know in a moment where doom seems certain that that she took the bull by the horns and and took control of the scenario and jumped down that vent and i think that obsession then grew all the way throughout Empire where Han, although he come across as you need a little bit more bad in your life, I think Han needs a little bit more layer in his life. Oh, and, sure. uh, and he wants that grounding. He wants that love and he is really caring. And, and, you know, even in the, the moments when the, the base is being attacked in Empire and he has to go back and save Padme and take uh, uh, Padme Leia with him. And then of course, I think Return of the Jedi downplays it ever so slightly because the the conversation they have um, in the airwork place I don't really like very much. I don't. I but... I do think that when it came to Return of the Jedi, their story had kind of been done. There were there wasn't a lot more yes. to do, and so they had yeah. to create something. I think there's an awful lot of dialogue and dynamics between characters in Return of the Jedi that, in, in a similar way to Rise of Skywalker is uh, and in a way last jedi trying to push something onto characters that don't necessarily yes and yeah. and then unfortunately you get something that is just a bit kind of weird it doesn't feel it doesn't feel as organic and yeah yeah exactly the, but but i i feel that that organic relationship returns in um the force awakens where oh Han, beautiful yeah han is so obviously 
and brilliantly Han in The Force Awakens and the that the moments between them, especially the the when they when they hug each other for that last time and, and she says, you know, bring our son back. Again, yeah. that feeds in so much to Ben's story and what's so great about that, but also feeds into Han and the fact that his whole life, all he's ever done is run from his problems and and try not to deal with them head on and, and sneak out of it in any way, shape and form. And, you know, ask Kanja Club. He's, he's always trying to trying to get himself out of a scenario by getting himself into another load of trouble and this, that and the other. And in that moment when Ben's walking across the thing is the moment that Han takes his own responsibility as a father, his own responsibility as a member of the family and his own responsibility as, as Leia's love to confront that moment. And mm. that moment that will forever ring in my mind that when he shouts Ben, cuts me like a knife. <laughs> and I, Kylo turns around and you can, and just the whole emotion of that moment the 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 between the two of them and then of course that's then paid off in in rise of skywalker um even more and that is the the you know and and none of that would mean anything without the beautiful simplicity of their relationship in empire um and i just i just love hannah leia i think they're great yeah no i i i think that um it's totally fair i think that it's 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 very interesting to see how different um, their relationship is in canon to the EU um, as well, just because yeah. they're so wonderful. I mean, they're, they're so wonderfully connected in both um, right up until obviously in canon, they do have that, that parting of ways for whatever reason. We sort of don't know fully yet why Han sort of kicked off and, went away but uh the novelization says that they're still husband and wife which is mm -hmm. you know something and there's obviously a lot of love there and they love each other and they love their son uh and i think that leia is so wonderfully understanding of han's need to get away and you know as as much as han is in a fight for a good reason he he's it, it's not his place it's not where he's comfortable uh certainly where um where canon's concerned and mm -hmm. the fact that leia allows him to go off on these adventures even though it might be detrimental to it could be detrimental to their relationship it actually strengthens it which i think is very interesting yeah that's cool um, yeah. So yeah, that's my that's my third option. Yourself, Mitchell. I think we've gone we've gone in different directions with it. I I started at my number three, and I'm working to my number one. And you, I think you you went number one to number three. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, cool. So my number one relationship in Star Wars is Han and Chewie. Ah, yes. Of it is just a wonderful relationship, and the uh, and I think that an awful lot of it comes down to um, in the same way that Mark Hamill did such a wonderful job of interacting with R2-D2 in Empire, particularly, I think Harrison Ford's understanding of keeping things so real and natural and, and, and having history without, without forcing it down people's throats um, yes. really made Han and Chewie's relationship the way Harrison Ford reacted to everything that was happening with Chewbacca was just fantastic. 
Um, there is footage of uh, pre stuff where Peter Mayhew is actually saying lines of dialogue on the Death Star. Oh, I don't really? know if you've seen any of that. Yeah. No. Um, and, you know, he's saying lines of dialogue so that the actors would know what what his character was saying and what he was responding to. But I also feel like even if that wasn't there, Harrison Ford would have just done a fantastic job because he's just such a good real actor and he brought yeah. so much of that to his character. And But to talk specifically about their relationship, I, I've, I think I've mentioned before that another one of my all-time favourite scenes in all of Star Wars is after Han's been tortured on Bespin and comes in and Chewbacca just holds him and it, it, oh, I, get, I get like a little choked up even just thinking about it. Uh, and even even the scene in, in Jabba's palace after he's been uh, unfrozen from Carbonite and just the, the, the sheer amount of love and fear that, that Chewie has for Han is so beautiful. And I, I, yeah. I in a very similar way to Baze and Chirrut, I guess, um, of, of sticking by someone, even though they may not need you, but just that you, you to, to love someone so much that you're so scared of losing them. I, there's, I, people can talk about all the different characters they want. I don't see yeah. it in anyone there's, more than in Han and Chewie. No, I agree with you there. And that's, and that's the, there's three moments that really stand out to me. One is, and this is, this is almost the three sort of pillars of, of how their relationship works in my mind is that you've got my, the first thing that comes to mind is that moment where Han is faced with Kanja Club and the other guys and he is talking about it and he says, look, I promised this, didn't I? And then he looks at Chewie and Chewie just says no. And he's like, oh. <laughs> and, yeah. and, it's just so, and it's just so brilliant that Chewie's like, you know, like he is that, it, it, he is like um, Han's conscience in a lot of ways and that he's, he, you know, for right or for wrong, he knows, he knows that Han's a fool really in a lot of ways, but he just loves yeah. to follow him because he loves him so much. Um, of course, the second of my three things that really stand out to me is that moment that you spoke about on Empire when that he he come in and you know I'm not sure whether it's in Empire or whether it's in Return of the Jedi, but he he cuddles Han and Han's like it's all right, buddy, it's all right, buddy. I'm I'm, I'm all good. I'm all good. I think and, that one's in uh, in Return of the Jedi, but is it? Um, yeah, because yeah. he can't see him, I suppose. Um, I'm all and, right, pal. I'm all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's and, and it's weird that like it's just so simple. Like I'm all right, pal. is just such a simple sentence, but the way that it's delivered by Harrison Ford and the way that it's the way that he's like you know at that moment completely muffled in Wookiee hair as he's saying it is just really really beautiful and and it just and it just really sums up how how close and brilliant their friendship is. And and the third one for me is the moment that as I mentioned a minute ago, means so much to me in Star Wars, as much as the Obi-Wan and Maul scene for you is my, is when Han dies to the hands of Kylo and mm. Chewie, Chewie lets out that, that heartbreaking <laughs> scream. Yeah. And, and in that moment, not only is, it must it cut Chewie to the bone that he has to shoot effectively his own nephew in a lot of ways. Have Have you seen, um, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a comic strip on, on Instagram where it, 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 it takes that moment and Chewbacca in that moment, he's like, I'm going to kill him for killing my friend. 
And then he thinks about it and he's like, no way, I can't kill this young boy who I used to hold in my arms and love as much as I loved Han. And that's why he shoots him in the gut instead of in the head. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, it's... yeah. And it would have broken yeah. Chewie so much that at that moment his his basic life partner in, in Han was being killed. But at the same moment, Chewie knows that that's Ben, that's little Ben that he grew up. And I imagine, you know, little Ben on Chewie's shoulders whilst he's running around and stuff mm. and, and how how hard that must have been for him. But, but yeah, that, that moment that their relationship ends in such a tragic way, Chewie and, and Hans, because obviously Han dies. Um, but but yeah, it's it's just it's deep. And I, and I, I think in it. a similar way to Great choice. my my disappointment with the use of R two D two and C three PO in the sequels, uh, I, I feel the same about Chewbacca. Where un, uh, it, it's almost like unless Harrison Ford's around, he's not a character anymore. He's just a thing standing there, and he's just present. Um, and I think that. Uh, a lot of that comes down to Lawrence Kasdan as well. Lawrence Kasdan really not only made him a character in Empire, he gave him an arc. He 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 was a person. He was a type of person at the start, and then at the end, that oh, actually, the the other scene that I love, I just love. Actually, before I get to that, I just want to talk about uh, in again in Empire when they're arguing over the ship, and no, that one goes there. That one goes there. The the anger that they have. <laughs> But, but it's like history of, of being able to shout at your friend and know that it yeah. means nothing. It's just, you know, yeah. um, it, it'll all be nothing later. The, one of the best scenes between Han and Chewie, I just remembered it, and I don't know why I couldn't remember it before, is just before Han gets frozen and Chewbacca goes nuts and Han's like, no, Chewie, no, you have to be there. You have to protect the princess. Oh, I yeah. just love it. Oh, and because he just goes, amazing. oh, shit, you're right. I do need to just... All right. If, if I can't, if I can't help, protect what you love. Yeah. Uh, it's just fantastic. I love it's Chewbacca so much. Great. I hope, I hope beyond hope, we get another something of of Han and Chewie because they were so well done. I think in Solo, uh, it, it 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 hit home. I, I've said it many times before that if Solo was able to nail Han and Chewie, then they would have me. 100% and then they did that they could have done a terrible movie but if that relationship was was strong and real and and true to them um I would I would have been in it I'd, I just I just love them yeah oh, so. chewy. Chewy great cheese. choice great choice cheers um, and, and so just and, to run yeah. through them again uh yep. your your number one was Luke and R2 yeah your number two was Anakin and Ahsoka yeah and your number three was Han and Leia Mine, number one, Han and Chewie. Number two, Maul and Kenobi. I'm sure it came as no surprise to anybody. And then thirdly, Chirrut and Bays from Rogue One. So that was, we'll handle this. And now we're going to move on to, this is where the fun begins. Yeah. What I've done with this is I've I've sort of taken the the Instagram meme of, 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 um, and I've called this little segment three against one. So the idea is that I'm going to give you four names in different categories and you have to choose which one is going to protect you when the others are trying to kill you. Ah, cool. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to start off with Jedi. The four Jedi I've chosen are Ahsoka, 
Luke Skywalker, original trilogy, Rey, and Qui-Gon Jinn. Okay. So what's uh, happened, the scenario, if you need one, is that there has been a, a, a those those worm virus things that are in those episodes of Clone Wars that infect Barris, and they've infected three of these Jedi, and they've decided to come after you and kill you. And luckily, one of the one of those four are on your side, and they haven't been infected yet. Okay, um, I will go with. Oh, I think Luke, um, because. And if it's original trilogy Luke is in, I could have Return of the Jedi Luke. Um, Indeed. I feel, as, I feel as if he would stand a good chance against um, against Rey and Ahsoka. Um, who's the third one? Uh, Qui-Gon Jinn was also there. Oh, yeah, Qui-Gon, yeah. He, he could dispatch with Qui-Gon, especially in a lightsaber duel. Um, I, yeah, I feel that, that he would be he would be a good chance for me to, to survive those guys because he is, um, especially in Return of the Jedi, ready to uh, to be able to deal with with those people i feel that he would probably struggle the most with ray um especially depending on where we are with ray if it's rise of skywalker ray ray she i, I believe could probably beat return of jedi luke but i just would feel very safe in luke's um custody um, um mm. although it's hard for me because i th- i feel it, it's tight between him and ray but either way i think that him or ray could quite um, uh, will we'll be well equipped to dispatch Qui Gon and Ahsoka, but him versus Rey would be a tight fight for me. I, I think I'm going to. I think I would I'd definitely agree with you. I think um, I think I would go with Luke as well for very much the same reasons. Um, I, I think, yeah, yeah. So I think Qui Gon would probably, cool. unfortunately, be the first one that would go, wouldn't he? Yeah, I can imagine so. A shame. He he he'd be a great one to have on side if you're negotiating, but uh, not necessarily yep. in a fight. I'm next sure. up, next up we have solo or characters therein related. Mm-hmm. So firstly we've got Han Solo, Lando yep. Calrissian, Tobias yep. Beckett, and Emphis Nest. Um, I will have to go with Han. Because if there's anyone that not even necessarily could protect me via their ability to fight, but more so their ability to escape a sticky situation. And I feel like Han and me might not necessarily get out of there via Han's incredible ability with a blaster, but more so in the fact that he may just shoot a hole in something really luckily and we managed to escape through there. Um, I feel like I have a a greater chance with him in regards to that. I, I, I'm going with Emphis Nest, um, partly because I think out of the four of them, th- she's probably the best fighter. Yes. But but also uh, we gingers need to stick together. Yeah, and she would she would thoroughly de- dispatch the others. I believe. I don't. I don't just. Oh yeah, for sure. All right then. Uh, next up, we're going bounty hunters. Mm-hmm. And in this one, I've got Cad Bane, Boba Fett, Jango yep. Fett. Yep. And Embo. Okay, I... It's tough. It's tough because Boba Fett is an illusion right now in the Star Wars universe. He is this... This, is. this person that 
I think everybody wants to be as overpowered as we as we think he is. But if you actually look at the the evidence from the movies or from the movie in Return of the Jedi, yeah. that, that you know he's dispatched of fairly easily. And then I know that that's yeah. probably gonna that's probably gonna anger a lot of Boba Fett fans, and that they could probably you know retort. But then we do have an awful lot of him in in Clone Wars as well. Yeah, and I as think a that... youngster, yeah. Uh, but, but if I, you could I, do that as a youngster, you know. Yeah, of course. And no, I'm you're sure right. The, I'm yeah. sure the answer to this would be different, and may actually be Boba Fett after the second season of The Mandalorian, um, because I feel, very true. I, I feel I'm when very he features hopeful. in that, yeah, when he features in that, he's going to be a beast. But at, at this very moment, I don't feel there'll be anybody better to protect me than Cad Bane because he is um, he is really quite quite um well equipped to deal with not only if you know he he's yeah I, I believe he's in is he in the episode where the the bounty hunters all have to fight each other in that arena yeah um yeah he's, he's the main he the main deal, guy he deals with them very very well and you know and i and i believe that he would be my best protector in that scenario yeah i think i'm i'm actually going to agree with you as well mm-hmm. um as 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 cool as embo is I think um, the lack of communication between the two of us would be a hindrance more than, more yeah. than a help. And, um, and Cad Bane just seems almost, 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 almost Thrawn-like in that he just seems to be well-prepared. Yes. Thrawn can assess the situation. Cad Bane has on him everything he needs and the instincts to just do what mm-hmm. he needs to do. No doubt. Yeah. Finally, mm-hmm. in three against one, we've got Dark Apprentices. Ah. Okay. And this comes down to Maul, Dooku, Grievous, and Vader. Oh, that's difficult, isn't it? What all all of them want to kill you except one. Yeah. And you're looking at you're looking at some pretty, some pretty well equipped. Um, I think this is probably the one where if you don't choose wisely enough, everyone will die. Yes. To, to, to say three against one in this scenario is probably the most challenging. I'm, I'm inclined to favour Dooku because not only has he expressed all of the adequate abilities to deal with more than one opponent because i don't believe dooku on very many occasions occasions even has to deal with one person most occasions that he's in a lightsaber duel he's actually fighting more than one um so i was just thinking that too I, yeah i believe that not so so i've I, I can imagine me stood behind um behind dooku of course um, a, but a then flurry, anakin vader did kill him so a, a, a flurry of fear um and and Dooku would be probably the 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 other three would be spearheaded by um, Vader, and immediately I would imagine Dooku leaning on his Force Lightning ability to disable Vader in as True. quick a, a quicker manner as he possibly could. Um, not that I believe that Dooku could be all three of them at once, but I'm envisioning a scenario in which he would. Um, he would dispatch Vader quickly with the force lightning and then of course because count dooku taught grievous everything he knows uh, naturally he would be quite well equipped to deal 
in a, a, a to deal with Grievous in a lightsaber battle. Um, so I could imagine him dispatching Grievous. Although at that point he would have six lightsabers on his hands with both of Maul's and all of Grievous's. But you know, if there's anyone that's going to be able to do it, it would be Dooku, and he would dispatch Grievous, and then of course finally um, deal with Maul because Maul and Dooku in a one-on-one fight, I believe, is Dooku's all day. But um, yes, really, okay, interesting. I, I do believe so. I I I just watched the episode where Dooku sends Grievous to take on the Night Sisters. Yeah, nice. And the uh, yeah, the, no, no, sorry. Pre- prior to that, I'd watched the the bounty hunting episodes that you just mentioned before, and there's the scene where much like the scene in empire where the door opens and Vader's standing there with a nice dinner prepared, uh, Palpatine and Anakin walk into a similar room and Dooku's mm-hmm. waiting, uh, the, the shots reversed, which I think is kind of cool, but yeah, it's yep. the same sort of thing. And Anakin is just putting everything he's got into trying to get at Dooku and Dooku has one hand behind his back and is just elegantly fight, fighting with him. So, um, I think you're right. If uh, if Maul and Dooku did face off against each other, um, Dooku would likely win because he, I, I don't know what it would be like to have Dooku putting effort into a lightsaber duel. Yeah, that's that, it. That's, that's, that's my said. biggest thing as a Dooku fanboy is that I believe he was taking it easy on Anakin on that ship, and that there was a prior agreement between him and Palpatine to take yeah. it easy on Anakin and allow Anakin to join. Palpatine's new Sith order that he was going to have with Dooku involved, and that if there not, is... he would have dispatched Anakin as quickly as he dispatched Obi Wan. That yeah, I I I I see I see where you're coming from, but I, I it does bring to mind that there is a there is the Son of Dathomir comic where Maul does kidnap not only Grievous but also yes. Dooku. Yes. So. I don't know. It is, it is a tough one, but I, I, I do think that I'm coming around to what you're saying. As much as I love Maul, I think that Maul always loses in the end. So <laughs> I think that um, he's just, it's his, it's his lot in life really, isn't it? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. Yeah. I'm going to say Dooku as well. Yeah. Good stuff there. Yeah. Nice, nice little, um, nice little thing. I look forward to the next time. Well, but, um, cheers. I'll, uh, I'll try and come up with some, some think, more interesting ones for my next. Yeah, round. I think, I think you should do the three versus one again when we do the, um, when you, when you next take the helm of the podcast because that's good. good well, fun. then I shall. Hundred percent. Thank you very much. Well, in that case, it's a, uh, it's about time to wrap things up. Hopefully, it won't be as long between podcasts next time. Yeah. Sorry. Hundred percent. Yeah. Sorry, I lost. Um, you there for a Oh, that's okay. Uh, and I guess that the the only things we're left with saying are, may the force be with you, and remember, don't drink the blue milk. <laughs>